Stories, fables, ghostly tales. There is a phenomenon in our world where the cries of the damned wail out beneath the earth, deep inside the catacombs of the sea, and where souls' cries are muffled beneath the earth's crust. We discover where the road to hell really is, and we stumble across the recordings of the Russian sleep experiment, where test subjects look human and seem alive, but they are very far from being either. Welcome listeners to your two tales, The Well to Hell and The Russian Sleep Experiment. I'm drinking an Earl Grey made for me by the person I adore. What is it when someone else makes you tea? It's special. I'm not sure what it's called, but I think you know what I mean. Like when you get given a present or slice of cake from a friend. It just tastes better. Well, if you know someone that needs a tea, make them one. You'll put a bounce in their step for the rest of the day. Especially if it's Earl Grey. Now, turn off the lights, turn up the sound, and let's explore a slice of hell, both spiritually and scientifically. Adam Johnson here. Russian Experiment Research, Log 1. 13th of March, 1940. Russian researchers in the late 1940s kept five people awake for 15 days using an experimental gas-based stimulant. They were kept in a sealed environment to carefully monitor their oxygen intake so the gas didn't kill them, since it was toxic in high concentrations. This was before closed-circuit cameras, so they had only microphones and 5-inch thick glass porthole-sized windows into the chamber to monitor them. The chamber was stocked with books, cots to sleep on but no bedding, running water and toilet, and enough dried food to last all five for over a month. The test subjects were political prisoners, deemed enemies of the state during World War II. Everything was fine for the first five days. The subjects hardly complained, having been promised, falsely, that they would be freed if they submitted to the tests and did not sleep for 30 days. The conversations and activities were monitored, and it was noted that they continued to talk about increasingly traumatic incidents in their past, and the general tone of their conversations took on a darker aspect after the fourth day mark. After five days, they started to complain about the circumstances and events that led them to where they were, and started to demonstrate severe paranoia. They stopped talking to each other, and began alternately whispering to the microphones and one-way mirrored portholes. Oddly, they all seemed to think they could win the trust of the experimenters by turning over their comrades, the other subjects in captivity with them. At first, the researchers suspected this was an effect of the gas itself, and after nine days, the first of them started screaming. He ran the length of the chamber, repeatedly yelling at the top of his lungs for three hours straight. He continued attempting to scream, but was only able to produce occasional squeaks. The researchers had postulated that the subject had torn his vocal cords. The most surprising thing about this behavior 
is how the other captives reacted to it. Or rather, didn't react to it. They continued to whisper to the microphones until the second of the captives started to scream. The two non-screaming captives took the books apart, smeared page after page with their own feces, and pasted them calmly over the glass portholes. The screaming promptly stopped. So did the whispering to the microphones. Russian Experiment Research, Log 2 After three more days passed, the researchers checked the microphones hourly to make sure they were working, since they thought it impossible that no sound could be coming with five people inside. The oxygen consumption in the chamber indicated that all five must still be alive. In fact, it was the amount of oxygen five people would consume at a very heavy level of strenuous exercise. On the morning of the 14th day, the researchers did something they said they would not do to get a reaction from the captives. They used the intercom inside the chamber, hoping to provoke any response from the captives they were afraid were either dead or vegetables. We are opening the chamber to test the microphones. Step away from the door and lie flat on the floor or you will be shot. Compliance will earn one of you your immediate freedom. To their surprise, they heard a single phrase in a calm voice respond. We no longer want to be freed. Debate broke out amongst the researchers and the military forces funding the research. Unable to provoke any more response using the intercom, it was finally decided to open the chamber at midnight. Russian Research Experiment Log 3 The chamber was flushed of the stimulant gas and filled with fresh air, and immediately voices from the microphones began to object. Three different voices began begging, as if pleading for the life of loved ones to turn the gas back on. The chamber was opened, and soldiers were sent in to retrieve the test subjects. They began to scream louder than ever, and so did the soldiers when they saw what was inside. Four of the five subjects were still alive, although no one could rightly call the state that they were in as living. The food rations past day five had not been so much as touched. There were chunks of meat from the dead test subject's thighs, and chest stuffed into the drain in the center of the chamber, blocking the drain and allowing four inches of water to accumulate on the floor. Precisely how much of the water on the floor was actually blood was never determined. All four surviving test subjects also had large portions of muscle and skin torn away from their bodies. The destruction of flesh and exposed bone on their fingertips indicated that the wounds were inflicted by hand, not with teeth, as the researchers initially thought. Closer examination of the position and angles of the wounds indicated that most, if not all of them, were self-inflicted. The abdominal organs below the ribcage of all four test subjects had been removed. While the heart, lungs, and diaphragm remained in place, the skin and most of the muscle attached to the ribs had been ripped off, exposing the lungs through the ribcage. All the blood vessels and organs remained intact. They had just been taken out and laid on the floor, fanning out around the eviscerated but still living bodies. 
the digestive tract of all four could be seen to be working, digesting food. It quickly became apparent that what they were digesting was their own flesh, that they had ripped off and eaten over the course of days. Most of the soldiers were Russian special operatives at the facility, but still, many refused to return to the chamber to remove the test subjects. They continued to scream, to be left in the chamber, and alternatively, begged and demanded that the gas be turned back on, lest they fall asleep. To everyone's surprise, the test subjects put up a fierce fight in the process of being removed from the chamber. One of the Russian soldiers died from having his throat ripped out, another one was gravely injured by having his testicles ripped off, and an artery in his leg severed by one of the subject's teeth. Another five of the soldiers lost their lives, if you count one that committed suicide in the weeks following the incident. In the struggle, one of the four living subjects had his spleen ruptured, and he bled out almost immediately. One of the medical researchers attempted to sedate him, but this proved impossible. He was injected with more than 10 times the human dose of morphine derivative and still fought like a cornered animal, breaking the ribs and arm of one doctor. The soldier was seen to lay there bleeding, in which his heart beat for a full two minutes after he had bled out, to the point there was more air in his vascular system than blood. Russian Experiment Research, Log 4 Even after it stopped, he continued to scream and flail for another three minutes, struggling to attack anyone in reach and just repeating the word MORE over and over, weaker and weaker, until he finally fell silent. The surviving three test subjects were heavily restrained and moved to a medical facility. The two with intact vocal cords continuously begging for the gas to remain awake. The most injured of the three was taken to the only surgical operating room that the facility had. In the process of preparing the subject to have his organs placed back within his body, it was found that he was effectively immune to the sedative that they had given him to prepare him for the surgery. He fought furiously against his restraints when the anesthetic gas was brought out to put him under. He managed to tear most of the way through a four inch wide leather strap on one wrist, even through the weight of a 200 pound soldier holding that wrist as well. It took only a little more anesthetic than normal to put him under, and the instant his eyelids fluttered closed, his heart stopped. In the autopsy of the test subject that died on the operating table, it was found that his blood had tripled the normal level of oxygen. His muscles that were still attached to his skeleton were badly torn, and he had broken nine bones in his struggle to not be subdued. Most of them were from the force his own muscles had exerted on them. The second survivor had been the first of the group of five to start screaming. His vocal cords destroyed. He was unable to beg or object to surgery, and he only reacted by shaking his head violently in disapproval when the anesthetic gas was brought near him. He shook his head yes when someone suggested, reluctantly, they tried the surgery without anesthetic, and did not react for the entire six hour procedure of replacing his abdominal organs and attempting to cover them with what remained of his skin. 
the surgeon presiding, stated frequently that it should be medically possible for the patient to still be alive. One terrified nurse assisting the surgeon stated that she had seen the patient's mouth curl into a smile several times whenever his eyes met hers. When the surgery ended, the subject looked at the surgeon and began to wheeze loudly, attempting to talk while struggling. Assuming this must be something of a drastic importance, the surgeon had a pen and pad fetched so the patient could write his message. It was simple. Keep cutting. The other two test subjects were given the same surgery, both without anesthetic as well. Although they had to be injected with a paralytic for the remainder of the operation, the surgeon found it impossible to perform the operation whilst the patients laughed continuously. Once paralyzed, the subjects could only follow the attending researchers with their eyes. The paralytic chemical cleared their system in an abnormally short period of time, and they were soon trying to escape their bonds. The moment they could speak, they were again asking for the stimulant gas. The researchers tried asking why they injured themselves, why they had ripped out their own guts, and why they wanted to be given the gas again. Only one response was given. I must remain awake. Awake. All three subjects' restraints were reinforced, and they were placed back into the chamber, awaiting determination as to what should be done with them. The researchers, facing the wrath of their military benefactors for having failed the stated goals of their project, considered euthanizing the surviving subjects. The commanding officer, an ex-KGB, instead saw potential and wanted to see what would happen if they were put back on the gas. The researchers strongly objected, but were overruled. In preparation for being sealed in the chamber again, the subjects were connected to an EEG monitor and had their restraints padded for long-term confinement. To everyone's surprise, all three stopped struggling the moment it was let slip that they were going back on the gas. It was obvious at this point all three were putting up a great struggle to stay awake. One of the subjects that could speak was humming loudly and continuously. The mute subject was straining his legs against the leather bonds with all his might. First left, then right, then left again for something to focus on. The remaining subject was holding his head off his pillow and blinking rapidly. Having been the first to be wired for EEG, most of the researchers were monitoring his brainwaves in surprise. They were normal most of the time, but sometimes flatlined inexplicably. It looked as if he were repeatedly suffering brain death before returning to normal. As they focused on paper scrolling out of the brainwave monitor, only one nurse saw his eyes slip shut at the same moment his head hit the pillow. Russian Experiment Research, Log 5. His brainwaves immediately changed to that of deep sleep, then flatlined for the last time as his heart simultaneously stopped. The only remaining subject that could speak started screaming to be sealed in now. His brainwaves showed the same flatlines as one who had just died from falling asleep. The commander gave the order to seal the chamber, seal the chamber. with both subjects inside. One of the named three 
immediately drew his gun and shot the commander point blank between the eyes. Then turned the gun on the mute subject and blew his brains out as well. He pointed his gun at the remaining subject, still restrained to a bed, as the remaining members of the medical and research team fled the room. I won't be locked in here with these things, not with you. He screamed at the man, strapped to the table. What are you? He demanded. I must know. The subject smiled. Have you forgotten so easily? We are you. We are the madness that lurks within you all. Begging to be free at every moment in your deepest animal mind. We are what you hide from in your bed every night. We are what you sedate into silence and paralysis. And where you go, where we cannot tread. The researcher paused, then aimed at the subject's heart and fired. The EEG flatlined as the subject weakly choked out. So nearly free. Russian experiment research complete for now. More to come. The Well to Hell Newspapers in Finland were the first to report this story as an actual event. From there, it has spread around the world. Engineers working on the Kola Peninsula in Siberia were drilling a well, searching for oil or natural gas. In addition, they found a rare geological formation and even gold. Eager to discover what else the well would yield, they kept drilling. After more than a year, the well was about 1,800 miles deep. Then one day, the drill bit suddenly began to rotate wildly. The geologists and engineers felt a blast of searing heat gush out of the hole and thought they heard faint sounds emanating from the well. They raised the drill and lowered temperature gorges to measure the heat at the bottom of the hold. It registered over 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit. We've penetrated to the molten center of the Earth, the geologist said. But that doesn't account for the sounds, one of his colleagues answered back. So they lowered highly sensitive microphones down the hole. Up from the well came the sounds of agonizing screams. We haven't penetrated the Earth's core, the geologist said. We've entered the gates of hell. There are other variations and accounts of this story. As an alternate version goes, the story is set in an Alaska oil rig, where 13 workers were killed when the devil himself roared out of hell. Another states they were digging for oil, smelled sulfur, and heard sounds emanating from the hole crying, Help us! Or, Get us out of here! I found another story like this in a journal. Let's take a look at what it says. I'm not much of a writer. Keeping memoirs was never something I used to do, but I will try my best to make this look neat and polished. First, I guess I should introduce myself. My name is William Christopherson, and I'm a scuba diver. Or rather, I used to be a scuba diver. I worked in underwater research, 
taking pictures beneath the ocean and gathering various specimens of fish for studying. I've been doing this crap for 15 years while paying alimony for my kids. One day, I got up early for another ordinary dive into the ocean. None of us knew what was going to happen that day. We all thought it'd be just like any other dive. I got on the boat with the rest of my buddies, and we sailed quite a ways out there into the ocean. Then, all us divers went into the water, about 200 or so feet deep. Nothing unusual. Just do the job, come up, dive in again, do the job, come up, and so on and so forth until quitting time. Well, before the second or third dive, we went out a little ways further on the boat, about 30 leagues west of our present location. I and the other guys dove in, thinking it was just another dive. I got separated from the rest of the group while underwater. Normally, that shouldn't happen. One of the rules of scuba diving is to stick together. Just out of curiosity, I decided to check out this underwater cave that sat way at the bottom. It was dark, really dark, and deep. I had my flashlight with me, so it wasn't too bad. But even then, the darkness was something else. Surreal, in a way. It was as if you could feel it. That's how friggin' dark it was. I hadn't been in that cave ten minutes, when suddenly I heard horrific screaming coming from up ahead. I honestly can't describe the terrifying sounds I heard, except that they were human voices screaming at the top of their lungs, as if they were in lots of pain. At the same time, the water had gotten warmer, not by much, but enough to detect a difference in the temperature. But those screams made my flesh shiver with absolute horror. I don't recall when I've ever been that scared before. I swear to God, there were hundreds, maybe millions of screams coming from that cave. Men and women, and maybe some children. I was so freaked out at those shrieking voices, I couldn't stand it. I rushed to get out of the cave, swimming as fast as I could, not looking back. I was breathing heavily, something that isn't safe to do while underwater scuba diving. I got up onto the boat safely, shaking like a leaf. My buddies and the other guys aboard couldn't understand what was wrong with me. And I didn't tell until a few days later. No one believed me. They all thought I was freaking crazy. I don't know what those screams were, but I knew they were there. I heard them with my own ears. A few people I've told the story to say that I heard the screams from hell myself. At first, I thought them insane, but now I am beginning to believe them. My friends think I'm insane. They don't believe one word of my experience. I quit my scuba diving job and took up employment at a hardware store somewhere in town. I've sworn to myself I will never dive or go into the water again. I have never forgotten those screams, and I never will. They haunt me in my dreams every night, but I don't tell anyone about the dreams. I don't need any more of their, you're crazy, crap. My life has changed since that horrible encounter in the cave. I've become more realistic about the reality of hell. As an atheist, I don't believe in God. But as a scuba diver? Having heard those screams from nowhere, and in an underwater cave, screams that have left a permanent mark on my life, I must say I do believe in a hell. According to many religious doctrines, 
and the Well to Hell hoax. Hell is located at the center of the Earth. I firmly believe that to be true today. I have listened to the alleged Screams from Hell audio clip, and I can honestly say, it's a phony. The real screams sound nothing like that. The real ones are worse. Much worse. More horrifying than you could ever imagine. That audio recording is like Brahms' lullaby, trying to pass off for heavy death metal. It's definitely not the same shrieking voices I heard in the cave. The real screaming is... indescribable. You just can't imagine it. It's taken a lot of guts for me to finally write this part of my life. After having been criticized and called a lunatic by so many people, I'm not afraid to have my name in print explaining my story. And I thank you for allowing me to tell my experience. Hell is real, and I wish it weren't. I don't know if there's any chance of escaping it, but I know it's there, at the center of the earth. I heard the screams. I know it's true. No one can tell me differently. I know it's for real. Thank you for reading my story. Goodness, both stories were just great. I read that the Russian sleep experiment is based on real life events, so it looks like it's time for me to go digging around. I did do a little bit of research, more from a conspiracy perspective than anything else. Snopes cries false that it happened, but the story itself is based on real experiments in the 1940s by Russians. So there must be some information circulating out there around this. If any of you lovely listeners know, point me in the right direction. And thank you so much for listening, mates. If you also have a story, don't keep it to yourself. Goodness, send it to storiesfablesghostlytales at gmail.com. I take all genres, so don't hold off from sending one to me because you think it just won't fit. I'll find a way. So every kind is welcome. It's what I do. Share stories. And if you have any life experience tales to share, send them my way as well. I'd love to read them. Now my ghasts and ghouls, have a fantastic night or day, and as always, till next time. <laughs>